Good morning. Good to see everybody here today. Happy Palm Sunday. It's a blessing to have you, and I do appreciate those that are joining us online as we celebrate Palm Sunday. Look forward to Easter, and just wanted to share with you this morning. We've got a lot of things going on this week. I ask that you pray for each and every service. Of course, we'll have the Monday Thursday uh, service and the sunrise or before sunrise. Um, then we'll have our Easter service, but it's going to be a busy week. I pray that God puts here who he wants here and that the message of the gospel is always sounding in everyone's ears. So it, it's just great to see you here, and I pray that others will join us this coming week. Uh, years ago, Patterson wrote a book called The Day America Told the Truth. And this is the results of all the interviews and things that they had statistically. That 80%, 86% of Americans lie to their parents. 75% of Americans lie to their friends. 73% lie to their siblings. And 69% of Americans lie to their spouse. Now, before you begin to jump on those people that are unchurched, a survey that was taken by the CRC of the Arizona Christian University in 2020 said that 46% of professing Christians reject moral, absolute truth. 46%. Now, I think this is interesting because there is a text that we will be in today that asks the question, what is truth? <clears throat> there have not been such powerful words asked by a person than Pilate before Jesus. What is truth? If you have your Bibles, I ask that you turn with me to John chapter 18, John chapter 18. John chapter 18, I'm going to read this passage. Then after I do, I want to break this passage down for you. And I want you to look at it with me, and I want to give you three points toward the end. You see, when I talk about truth, the day America told the truth and 46% of Christians reject uh, moral absolutes, I want to define what that mean, means, okay? Because you got to understand where, where we're coming from in this. Absolute truth is defined as something that is true at all times and cannot change. It is true at all times and cannot change. Relative truth is what most professing Christians hold to, is that what's true for me may be not true for you. Let, let me give you an example. I go out there and I see a dandelion. I said, that sure is a pretty flower. And somebody comes behind me and said, that sure is an ugly weed. True is in the opinion of the one speaking it. Relative truth. What may be true for one is not true for other. And what you will see in this discourse between Jesus and Pilate is a big difference between absolute and relative truth. So read with me in, in chapter uh, 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas 
to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not want to enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. This is hilarious to me. And, and you'll see why. Not entertainment, ha-ha, but hypocritical, ha-ha. Pilate came out to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Pilate told them, You take him and judge him according to your law. It is not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, indicating the kind of death that he was going to die. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you asking me on this, are you asking me, are asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your own nation and chief priest handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of the world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of the world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not for here, from here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone is of the truth who listens to my voice. The question of the day, what is truth? said Pilate. After he said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you in the pass, at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this beautiful Palm Sunday. God, I pray that we celebrate your son Jesus Christ and that all truth is found in him. God, whether it's the preaching of the word, whether it's the singings of the song, you are worthy of all glory. God, I pray today that if there's one that does not know you, that, Lord, you would convict their heart before it's eternally too late. God, I pray today that as born-again believers, born believers in Christ here, the Lord, you ignite a fire upon us, that we're not hesitant in sharing the gospel. And God will give you all praise and glory. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. If we could go back to the first portion of this, where are we? So I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest of what's going on. Where in John 18, Jesus had had the upper room discourse, we'd been in this a little bit, with his disciples. Jesus is now arrested and before Pilate. Now take into consideration Palm Sunday, which we celebrate, a few days earlier, Jesus rode through town on a donkey, waving palm branches saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But a few days later, the people would turn on him and would cry out, crucify him. Now, Jesus intimidated people. Now, isn't it interesting that 2,000 years later, he's still intimidating people? But what happened was, Jesus was beginning to upset the religious leaders. 
So they conspired against him. So they play ping pong with Jesus. He goes to Annas, the former high priest, to Caiaphas, the son-in-law, to Annas, then to Pilate, then to Herod, then back to Pilate. Notice this. Notice this. He goes to the religious first, and then the Gentiles second. He goes to the religious first, and then to the Gentiles second. Because what Jesus had done by his life, by his walk, by his testimony of God upset the religious and the Gentiles. I want you to listen as we go through this. Being religious does not make you righteous. If you do not hear another word I say this morning, listen to this. Being religious does not make you righteous. You see, what was true for one was not necessarily true for the other. Because they were both, religious and Gentile, was looking to justify their own truth by their own opinion. Now go with me on this. And let's read this passage a little bit again. And I want to give you four interesting things of relative truth. What may be one good for one is not necessarily good for the other. And then I want you to look at the truth of Jesus. Number one, look at the religious here, okay? Notice the hypocrisy resulting from this relative truth. It was early morning. They did not want to enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. Now, wait a minute. Here you are, do not want to be defiled by entering into the presence of the Gentiles. But let's look at Jesus' trial for a few minutes. Number one, it was against Jewish law. Why? Because they had their trial, his trial at night. Number two, there's several reasons, but I'm going to give you the top few. Number two, he was gotten by bribery. Number three, they struck a defendant. Number four, it was done in secret. Now here these religious men had broken these rules and they're practicing the great hypocrisy. We don't want to be defiled by entering into your presence, but we can condemn the Son of God by our own opinion. One of the greatest things that people see in Christians who call themselves righteous is hypocrisy. Many people will say Christians are what? Why? Because they are. Because so many times we justify our actions with a little bit of Jesus and a lot of the world depends on how it suits us. You see, let me tell you a little bit about these religious people. You see, that bothered them that Jesus called himself the Son of God. It bothered them that he spoke with authority. But yet their own scriptures pointed to him. And they missed it. They was too busy with their own self-righteousness that they couldn't see the trees for the forest. Their own hypocrisy. Number two, look at what this relative truth caused. Confusion. Pilate came out and said, What charge do you bring against this man? What has he done? And listen to what they say. 
They answered, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Now, if you read the Gospels, you'll find an interesting thing about these discourses. Originally, listen, they blamed Jesus with blasphemy. Remember? Blasphemy. But what happened before Pilate? Now they blame him with treason. They suited their own laws for their own self-righteousness to condemn a man with a lie. You blaspheme and said that you're the son of God, but this man, he's telling you not to pay taxes. You know, I'm not, you know he's a traitor. They manipulated their own rules, and it causes confusion. Pilate is confused. And here's the scary thing. Now, the Bible don't say this, but I believe with the overtone of the verses, Pilate sees their own hypocrisy. He sees it. What has this man done? Well, if he wasn't a criminal, we would have handed him over to you. Then Pilate says, he sees this. This is why I said I believe he sees this hypocrisy. You, you take him and judge him according to your law. Judge him. Well, it's not legal for us to put anybody to death. Not only are they wanting to stomp out the teachings of Jesus, they want to completely remove Jesus. So what do they do? In their own hypocrisy, the religious look to their, what they perceive as unrighteous, to execute their judgment. Look to somebody else to get their way. And not only does it cause confusion, if you look at this text, it causes cowardice. Pilate has a chance to make a great decision. I want to be honest with you people. Something's been on my heart all week, and I can't get out of Revelation 21.8. The Bible says there will be no cowards in heaven. We look at Pilate for not standing his ground, but there are so many people that call themselves believers and righteous that are afraid to profess Jesus in front of other people. Do you hear me? There will be no cowards in heaven. While I'm there, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Revelation 21, chapter 8. Or verse 8, I'm sorry. Revelation 21, 8. Look. Revelation 21, 8. The one, verse 7, who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But, and I want you to look at this. He starts off with the cowards. But the cowards, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, there shall be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You hear that? You see, even though Pilate was a Gentile man, he was a ruler. I believe, and I'm not the prophet or son of a prophet, but from reading 
text, even from the warnings of his wife, he knew something was different about this man. Why? Because he tried to give Jesus back. Read the text. What does he do? He washes his hands of it. Symbolically. Why? He didn't want a part of it. But Pilate had a choice. And it brings me to the last point of this text. He compromised. And he gave the Jewish people what they wanted. He gave them Barabbas. You see, when I think about cowardice, a lot of times we think about going in front of the battlefield or going to take on someone in a fight or even maybe even a heated exchange. But let me tell you something. Listen, Christ on words, for if you don't profess me before men, I will not profess you before my Father. You see, this is serious. And this is what bothers me about the examples that I give you about truth. Even in the church, 46% of people reject absolute truth. If you are what you say you are, you are a follower of Jesus Christ completely. Now, Pilate, look, here's the points I'm making. Pilate was a Gentile. These other people were supposed righteous, and they were both eternally wrong. Because they couldn't see the truth before their eyes. And I'm going to tell you, and, and, and I, want, I want you to understand, that in the world that we live in, many people are going to vary in their opinions on things. Let me tell you even a little secret about what happened to Pilate. Historically, when Pilate did this and turned Jesus over to the, over, you know, tried to turn him back over, then all of a sudden they condemn him, they whip him and condemn him. Eusebius will note that during the reign of Caligula, Pilate killed himself. The man who had the very Son of God in front of him and couldn't see the trees for the forest because of his own self-righteousness and blindness. What is truth? He had suppressed it, just like the righteous had, supposedly. Truth was in their own eyes and their own opinions of what they thought truth was. And Jesus says, I am truth. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean for the believer? What does it mean? What is truth? Well, I'm going to tell you what truth is. Remember the other day when we talked about I am the way, the truth, and the life when Jesus was talking, about, talking to the disciples in John 14, which was four chapters before this happened, what we call the upper room discourse. He said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man come to the Father, but what? Through me. Okay? I am truth, which means I am unchanging, I am perfect, I am right, I am real, no matter the circumstances. Do you believe that Jesus is truth? You see, you'll find out through the book of John that he has several conversations about truth. And he gives the gospel. You'll find the first one with Nicodemus, who was a religious man. 
who couldn't see the trees for the forest, but was certain the right thing. And Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Nicodemus got it. Then you will find the discourse of the gospel with the Samaritan woman who was shamed, who was downcast. But yet Christ told her what living water was. Christ told him that those who ask forgiveness will be forgiven. Then you have this discourse with Pilate about truth. You see, the interesting thing about these conversations is Jesus has never changed and approached different people in different positions, but the truth has always remained the same. He is the way, he is the truth, he's the life. And nobody comes to the Father but through him. So we say we believe that. So how can you know that Jesus is truth? Well, I want you to write these three things down, please. You embrace the work in the person of Christ fully. You embrace the person and the work of Christ fully. Listen to me. There's a lot of people that believe in Jesus that are lost. What do you mean, Chad? And you've heard me give this example. Now, now bear with me. What do you mean? You mean people that believe in Jesus are going to hell or in hell? Yes! James said you believe in one God? You do well. But demons also believe. And they tremble. Demons believe in Jesus. Sons of Sceva. We command you come out in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches about. Jesus we know. Paul we have heard. But who are you? It's not that you know Jesus. Listen to me. But that Jesus knows you. You see the difference? And to embrace the work and the person of Christ means this. You are fully committed to Christ. That not only did he pay the price on Calvary that was due you, you put your faith and trust in him daily. You embrace him daily. It's a continual walk. It's not a, I love Jesus today and not tomorrow. It is a full embrace of the person God says who he says he is and the work God did what he said he did on the cross. That is embracing Jesus. Many people will stand before him and say, wasn't I baptized on that day? Didn't I say a prayer? Didn't I go to church? Didn't I give $2,100 to, to missions? Didn't I give a million to build a new church? Depart from me. I never knew you. It's embracing the work of Christ. And embracing the person and the work of Christ is understanding you are saved by faith alone, by God's grace alone, in Christ alone. It is not of works 
lest any man should boast. You do not have the capability or the ability to save yourself. Only Christ can resurrect the dead. And before Jesus Christ died on the cross, we're dead men. We're not bad men that have been made good. We are dead men that have been made alive by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it's just not a calling in something flippantly, but God, is there mercy for me? Is there mercy for me? Is there mercy for me? And He'll give it. He will save you. And when you've been impacted by Jesus Christ, your life will never be the same. And let me tell you something. I can't wait the next Sunday, and that's what I'm going to tell you. If you're not going to be here or plan on being here, you need to change your plans and be here and invite a friend. Because there's something that's going on that I want everybody to see. You say, Chad, we don't know. That's, 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 that's on purpose. <laughs> Jesus changes people. Pilate had an opportunity. The Jews had an opportunity and they rejected him because they suppressed the truth for their own self-righteousness. Romans is clear in that. Number two, what is truth? How do I know I'm true? I embrace the person and the work of Christ fully. Number two, I trust in the word of God completely. 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 God's word is truth. Well, so-and-so says they disagree with the Bible. Then so-and-so's wrong. If God says the Bible is the word of God, he tells Timothy, Paul does, that all scripture is God-breathed. I've done got excited. I'm spitting. The Word of God changes lives, people. And it's either God's Word or it's not God's Word. Let me tell you a scary story. And I'm not going to mention the state, nor am I going to mention the situation, but a dear friend of mine who was the director of missions at a place that in a Southern Baptist church, after they had went through some problems and their pastor had left, took a survey. And you'd be surprised that almost half the people denied the deity of Christ. He was a good man, and I believe the world's a better place for him, but I can't say he's the son of God. Oh, to be misinformed. Jesus is absolute truth. He is unchanging regardless of any circumstance. And whether you agree with me or don't, it don't change the fact that Jesus Christ is still who he says he is. The word of God. When I say you trust in the Word of God completely, do you invest your life in it? Now, I know you've heard me say this a lot. You hear me say this completely. But how can I say I love Jesus if I'm not in His Word? Chad, you're trying to get personal. Yep, I am. Because you know what? How will they know? How will they hear? And as a friend shared with me, 
How beautiful the feet are that deliver this. It's the Word of God. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. It don't matter what your opinion is. Well, Chad, it's all about love, brother. Why don't you read the Bible and see what love is? Well, Chad, God wants me to be happy. Oh, you foolish human being. Chad, I... You know what? I want to serve, but I despise so-and-so. The Word of God says you can't do that. Chad, I do care about the poor, but I don't want to serve them. Can't do that either. You see, if the Word of God says it happens and says to do this, we're to do it. Not, listen to me. It's not that we're trying to follow a set of rules. Listen to me. It's not that we're trying to work our way for righteousness. It's that God's word holds truth and holds the message that changes each and every one of our lives if we believe. And God's word is the instructions to how to live that life to grow closer to Jesus. Do you spend time in it? And I can't just say, well, there's some parts of the Bible I like and some parts that I don't like. Are there some things that aggravate me? Absolutely. And if you're honest, there's some things that aggravate you. We're not all different. Have you ever read the Psalms? Have you ever read David? I've read David and tried to justify some of the things he said. Oh, Lord. I've been just like Job and my patience run thin. I've been just like Peter and got so mad that I could warp somebody with a stick. I've been just like Thomas and I have doubted. And I've been just like Peter too. I've lied. But the Bible tells me that Christ is truth. And I shouldn't conform to try to be like anybody other than Jesus. Because men fail. But his word is the direction for our lives. And we're to embrace it completely. Because not only is it direction for our lives, it's food for what we hunger for. It is being filled with the word of God. And number three, to know what absolute truth is, you got to hold your faith unswervingly. Hold into your faith unswervingly. You see, some people like just enough of Jesus when things are going their way, but have a problem with them when things are not. You know, my wife was sharing with me the other day that somebody would accidentally got bumped into and hit the wrong button on a lottery machine and won $10 million. Did y'all hear about that? She accidentally bought the wrong ticket as a $10 million winner. I bet they were praising Jesus, wasn't they? 
And I think about that. It's easy to praise him when things are going great. But yet the true character that you believe that Jesus is who he, who he says he is is how you handle things when they go bad. Listen to me. How you respond to conflict, to condemnation, to sickness, to complaint, to hurt, to financial bankruptcy, how you respond shows your character as a believer. You ever thought about that? Do you believe God is who he says he is? Do you believe that regardless of what comes my way, I will hold to my faith unswervingly, as Hebrews 10, 23 says, because he that promised is faithful. And there are a lot more preachers that are standing up here today saying, look, God never promised you to be wealthy and prosperous and always be healthy and always be happy. There's more of them taking a stand against this and praise God for them because people that tell you that junk, flee! God never promised you you would walk down the road with daisies skipping them through the woods. Nothing can happen to me. People are dying for their faith in Jesus Christ and they're holding unswervingly to the faith they possess because they know that Christ is faithful. Do you believe him in the bad times? Do you believe he is who he says he is? You know, I spoke to somebody just a couple of weeks ago that I said was setting an example for us all because even in the midst of their hurt, in the midst of their grief, they're sitting here worshiping Jesus. Just like the Matt Marr song says, if you're alive and breathing, praise the Lord! Do you hold unswervingly to your faith? Or does it take something just as much as a pencil point to get you to break it? Does it take somebody cutting you off in traffic for you to lose your testimony? Do we hold to our faith? Because he that promised is faithful. Listen. I like to I shared this example one time before, but it, it really resounds with me about the person that was at the leper colony. It's a true statement, true story. There was taking him request in this leper colony. And he said he never will forget that this lady in the very back who lifted her hands, there's one finger left on her hand. And everything else had rotted away. If you don't know what leprosy is, you can look it up. It rots you completely. It was very strong in the biblical times when they would have leper colonies. And they were outcast. And this man is leading music at this leper colony, if you will. Never forget that this little lady lifted her one finger that was left and she had a request. As he looked at her marred face that was scarred and covered with towels, and that hand that had been rotted away, she asked, could we sing, count your many blessings? That somebody with leprosy can raise their hand and know that he who promised is faithful. That's the mark of a believer. 
Now look, I'm not saying that anybody in here is not going to have times of weakness. We all struggle. But let me tell you something about the absolute truth in Christ. Is that the absolute truth in Christ that you hold to and you believe with all your heart, you will get back up and press on. Amen? There's no negotiation. We all going to have ourselves kicked hard and get on the dirt. It's whether you get up and you press on. You see, this coming Easter, I used to like to say that this time of year, and I shared this a little bit before we prayed and came out here, that this is when the churches get filled on Easter Sunday and Christmas more than any time. Actually, that trend is starting to, because people believe in truth in their own way. But I'll tell you this. As long as God gives me breath, we're going to celebrate the risen Savior next Sunday. We're going to save the risen Savior next Thursday. And we're going to continue to share the good news that changes people's lives. Because there is no greater truth. There is no absolute truth other than Jesus. Things change. People change. You know, what was the saying you used to hear when you were kids? There's only two things i got to do. Is what? Don pay taxes. And you know what? We could say that, yeah, everybody's going to die unless Jesus comes back. That's a fact. Mathematically, everybody's going to leave this world. But the unchanging, the timeless, enduring character of Christ, the person of Christ, the work of Christ, the, call, the cross of Christ is truth, unchanging, unwavering. And if I really believe that, then my life must reflect that. You see, Pilate had an opportunity. So did the religious leaders. They had an opportunity but couldn't see the trees for the forest. But let me tell you another little story. And we'll celebrate this next week. The Bible tells me that Jesus is to be condemned. The Bible also tells me that he'd be hung on the cross with nails that would pierce him. The Bible tells me that he'd be hung between thieves. The Bible also tells me in the book of Matthew that those who hung with him reviled him, which means at the beginning of this crucifixion, both thieves were hurling insults. Ain't the Bible cove? We'll just read it. You'll find that in the book of Matthew. But something changed in the heart of one. And as that one self-righteous thief could not see the trees for the forest, and even at the point of death, listen to me, even at the point of death, was still looking out for his own self-righteousness. God, if you be the Son of God, save us and yourself. Even in death, he had a self-righteous heart. Save us, O Lord. And then the one thief says, Have you no fear of God, seeing that we are both in the same condemnation? We are getting what we deserve.
You hear that? For the one that had self-righteousness, or both at one time, one seen the truth. That this kingdom was not of this world. And this king could save him. And he looks at Jesus and says, Remember me. Remember me when you enter in your kingdom. And Jesus replied to him the beautiful words from the cross, This day you will be with me in paradise. It's what you perceive as truth. If your truth is suppressed by your own self-righteousness, you'll never see the trees for the forest. But if you embrace the person and the work of Christ, if you embrace the word of God fully, completely, and you hold your faith unswervingly, I promise, I promise, what I do promise is you have been changed by the blood of Christ and that will never change. You are sealed until the day of redemption and that will never change. Because Christ will never change. And there's not conditions on the cross. If you're his, you will remain his. But I pray today that if you're not, and like the other thief on the cross that saw his own self-righteousness, Lord, save my immediate need. Do you understand that the reason they were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? Do you know the reason they were saying, praise him, praise him, as he rode through town? Because they were looking for somebody to overthrow Rome, not be their savior. They wanted an immediate fix to their earthly condition. And could not see in their spiritual condition because they were suppressing the truth with their own self-righteousness. I pray today if you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he will forgive you. He will cleanse you and he'll give you a new nature. And I'm not going to tell you as you walk out that door that next day you'll have a Maserati or all the wealth you can imagine. I can't promise you when you walk out that door you'll live another day. But I can promise you by placing your faith and trust and committing to Jesus Christ that he will walk with you regardless of any circumstance. And he in that new nature will allow you to know that this world is temporary, but the presence with me is eternal. And there's no greater peace laying your head down at night knowing that. I want you to hear me. Last thing, I promise. I'm not going to say it's been a privilege all the time, but I have stood before many a casket of a lot of people. Some knew Christ, many didn't. And is it the time that I tried to share words of comfort? It's tough. But there's no greater privilege and honor in knowing that when you stand in before the body of an unbeliever, that you know what? We're going to grieve and we're going to hurt because they've left this world. But we take joy in knowing that when we leave it, we're going to be together again. Amen? Because Jesus brings the dead to life. That is truth, people. And the same Jesus Christ that brought Lazarus out of the tomb that can resurrect you from your sinful nature when you place your faith and trust in him that you were buried 
in the likeness of Christ. You were dead to sin and now risen to a new life in Him. I can promise you there's peace, my friends. And I don't know if I will ever... I don't know when we all going to leave this world. But I pray that I see each and every one of you. But I can't promise you you'll be there. You see, that's between you and Jesus. If you were standing before Christ right now and, and he said, why should I let you in heaven? What would you tell him? I want you to ponder that. If you were standing before Christ today and he said, why should I let you in heaven? What would you tell him? Folks, that means everything. And I want everybody to ponder that. Because you may not know when you leave this world, but you can know how you leave it. Brothers and sisters, please listen to me. Let's not fall in the trap of the world. Jesus is truth. He's absolute truth. He's unchanging. He's not relative truth. A lot of people in philosophy will say that. Jesus is truth. Why? Last sentence. Because he is the origin of truth. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. God, I thank you for everything that you've done in our lives. Lord, I thank you for everything you're doing in this church. Lord, it's not for us that we do any of this. Lord, it's for your glory, your glory alone. I, God, I know me. I'm a flawed man. God, I believe that you are truth, that you are not somebody's opinion. You are the Son of God, the unchanging Son of God, who God in His great grace and mercy provided us as a substitute for our unrighteousness. And God, if we just believe, not believing that you exist, not believing that you walk this earth, not even believing that you've done all these things or died on the cross, but committing. There's a difference in believing that and committing to. There's a lot of people that believe a lot of things. But believing in Christ is submission to his will and his authority. And it's dying to self and ending all self-righteousness. God, I pray today that if there's one that does not know you, that you convict their heart before it's eternally too late. God, one day we'll all stand before a coffin of our own family member, or Lord, we'll be in one. But Lord, as we're going to celebrate this week, next week, and every day after that, Lord, you had victory over death. And the grave couldn't keep you down. And Lord, the grave's not going to keep us down for all those who believe. Lord, I may live another two years, I may live another two minutes. Lord, I may not live to a hundred. I don't know. That is one thing that's not guaranteed. But something is guaranteed is my faith and trust in you because what you have promised is real. Lord, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, it does, it's not whether you're righteous or whether you're in, in your eyes or whether you're religious. It's not whether you don't even believe in religion. Maybe you may be agnostic. R religious people and agnostic people are the same boat if they're not saved.
But Lord, you are the salvation of mankind. Lord, you saved me from your wrath by your son Jesus Christ. That that should have been poured out upon me was poured upon your son. And I believe you. And I believe in you. And not only do I believe and commit to you, Lord, I want to tell others about you. Because that that you did to me, you can do to others. Ignite a fire among us. Lord, I pray that everything we sing brings you glory. I pray that every walk that we do brings you glory. God, I'm not saying that anything is perf anybody is perfect, but Lord, we should never use that as an excuse to live like hell. We must continually walk upon the word by embracing your work, by embracing your word, and Lord, by holding on to our faith unswervingly. Lord, we love you. We praise you, and all God's people said, stand and worship with us, please.